Miracy. And so if these bad things are happening to you, that means you did something terrible and you need now to pay for it. And I'm beginning to believe that that is a very limited uh, interpretation of karma. Hello, everyone. I'm Katie Valentine, and you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I am a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar. But don't let any of that scare you. I support all paths to the divine, and I use tools such as chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. What do I mean by that? Too often, we separate our business selves from our spiritual selves. But in doing that, we don't leverage the full potential of either one. This series aims to help you fall in love with your own soul so that you can live your most fulfilling and successful life. On today's episode, I'll be talking with a public researcher and transformational life coach who helps people stop questioning their value and step into the highest and best version of themselves. But first. In every episode, I offer a tip around abundance and your spiritual journey. Today's tip is about to get super woo-woo on you, but hang around to the end because I'll also get really practical. I'm writing this tip on the night of a full moon and a lunar eclipse. The gorgeous moon and the crisp cold air tonight not only inspires me, it is also a call for me to practice gratitude around abundance. The abundance of my home, my life, my business, things that have happened, and things still coming into my physical reality. In fact, I do this on most full moons. Like I said, it's pretty metaphysical here today. But the tip is not really around the full moon necessarily but about being attentive to the rhythms of nature and the rhythms of the year. Many of us make New Year's resolutions, but if you happen to live in the Northern Hemisphere, you may find this challenging because it's cold and dark. It's not conducive to resolutions. For me, this is a time of introspection and reflection, what has gone well in the year and what has it. It makes much more sense for me to do serious goal setting in the spring when the natural world around me inspires my business plans with much more ease, with signs of new life all around. Finding your own rhythm with the natural world will boost your awareness and maybe even increase your clarity and abundance in your business. And if you want to do full moon salutations with me each month, there's also a space for you. My guest today is Dr. Sri Mella. In addition to being a biostatistician, which is pretty cool all by itself, she's also the founder of Freeing Ourselves. She coaches clients to write self-empowering inner stories. I am fascinated by the interplay of science and spirituality, so when Sri and I connected, I knew what a fantastic guest she would make. Welcome to the show, Sri. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm curious, Shree, did anything resonate with you in today's tip on the topic of the natural rhythms of the year and incorporating that into your business? Yeah, you know, what is curious is that I do this, I have a free tapping session every Tuesday, and um, 
today's uh, tapping was about stress because in the United States here, we are in a very, very crucial election. And so the idea behind the tapping was to get people settled into their bodies. But one of the things that came up there was the constancy, right? The constancy of our breath, the constancy of nature in the form of how our bodies function without our attention most of the time. We don't have to ask the heart to beat or the lungs to breathe for us. And similarly, it's fall here in the Northern Hemisphere, and you can see this the seasons change. And you can kind of, it's, it's a very good way to, to settle yourself into a sense of these are things I can trust, right? And when you settle into that sense of these are things I can trust, your energy automatically goes from being tight and, and restricted to open and welcoming. And that is the most fundamental thing, I think, we need in order to welcome abundance in, right? Because unless your energy is welcoming and willing to receive, it's difficult to receive. <laughs> so I think it's just when you broaden nature and the cycles, um, and even though, like you pointed out, this is the time of kind of closing down and settling in and preparing for spring. But yeah, I resonate with that. One of my favorite phrases is allowing life, you know, so trusting in the constancy of nature is one way to do that. That idea of trust and of constancy speaks very deeply to me. And one reason I do pay attention to the full moon and the new moon and in each month might vary in and how much I'm paying attention is because they are very constant. I can absolutely trust that every 14 days there'll be a new phase of the moon or really every day there's a new phase of the moon. And it also makes me pause because my tendency is not to pause. And so these natural constancies also help me pause. And like you said, be generous and open. And so I, I love that you help people do that, Anna. And I saw that you offer these free tapping sessions on Instagram, and I can't wait to tap in. <laughs> Sorry you. for the pun. Um, I was trying to catch it today because you offered them yeah, on this day yeah. of the week. So <laughs> I saw, I, I was able to watch one or two in replay. So. Shri, how would you describe what you consider to be the divine? What kind of words or word do you use for that? So if I'm speaking in English, I use God, but I am a Hindu, right? I'm a Hindu by birth and by practice. So we have innumerable gods. <laughs> and so I might say Krishna, I might say Devi for, for goddess. I might say Shiva. It just, it depends on the context, uh, but they all... The basic concept of Hinduism is that it's all the same. You know, there are different manifestations um, of the divine. And most importantly, so are we. So the whole purpose of life here is to recognize that divinity within ourselves. So, yeah, so God is anything from God. You know, if, depending on the crowd that I'm speaking to, I might say universe. But also in my blogs, because they're, a lot of them are about a specific Indian myth, I do refer to to Krishna and Devi and and those names as well. So this might be an opportunity for us to do a little myth busting around Hinduism, because I have a feeling many Westerners who aren't aren't as familiar with Hinduism might 
think that Hinduism is polytheistic, but what you just said kind of gives a different spin to that. And I'm wondering if you can maybe just educate us briefly on that. Yeah. So if you look at it from the outside, Hinduism is polytheistic, right? So we have God represented in a multitude of ways. You know, everybody's familiar with Ganesha. Everybody knows about the the various gods who have more than two arms. But the most basic truth about Hinduism is that God manifested the world. It's not dissimilar to saying to to what Christ says about you know Christ being in every person. I've forgotten the exact um, phrase there. But, you know, the kingdom of God is within you, right? And that is very similar to the fundamental belief in Hinduism that God is in everything. And the reason for having different types of expressions of God is because we recognize that different people at different levels in their spiritual growth require different interpretations and different representations of God. So as a Hindu, you can be very rigid, very ritualistic, very um, hardcore, even fundamentalist, all the way up to being non-dualistic, right? All the way to saying everything is the same. I am you. And there is space for everything in between. So there is space for each person at whatever level of spirituality they are to experience that and to to live that. And the theory, of course, is that as we do that and as we advance spiritually, we'll move on to different versions of that God and eventually turn around and find that, oh, he, she was in here all the time. I didn't have to go out looking for him or her. That is the ultimate goal. But the polytheistic nature of it is to allow people to to enter it, enter the path at whatever level they are. Oh, that's so helpful. Thank you so much. And since you have, since you grew up Hindu and you're still practicing Hindu, can you tell us just a little bit about your religious, your spiritual upbringing from the time you were a child? There's a practice of lighting a lamp. Every Hindu house will have an altar with the different pictures or statues of of the various gods in, in our religion, and we, we light a lamp there every morning and evening. When we are going from light to dark and dark to light, that's when you light the lamp. And what we had to do when we were growing up, we had to sit down for about half an hour to 45 minutes and recite a certain prayers, some of which were in Sanskrit. Most of them were in my mother tongue, which is Malayalam. And almost none of them we understood. <laughs> so, but we we did have to recite them, and so I was aware of the religion, but I wasn't that much into spirituality or God. I was uh, still, my mom was kind of an agnostic. My dad was very devout. My grandmother was very devout. So I had a mixture of influences. And then I was 19, and my mother died in a plane crash. Oh, my goodness. And at that point, I was still questioning. And then I just, that, you know, the two or three months after that, it was just back and forth, back and forth. Does he exist? Doesn't he exist? You know, what should I believe? What shouldn't I believe? Why did this happen? You know, the typical question, why me? 
why is this happening to me, right? And I just got so tired. I mean, there's the emotional burden, right? And I said, heck, I can't do this. I'm just going to say, yeah, I believe in him and live as if I believe. And I still remember almost the pavement in Bombay where I stood and said that. And it's just been a blossoming of faith after that, right? It just somehow making that decision and holding on to it eventually got me to this place where I now have conversations with Krishna, you know, and the goddess. And I feel and I believe completely that I ask them questions and I receive answers. And that there is no doubt in my mind that I'm held in this beautiful kind of place of love and support. Even though I don't feel it all the time, I can and I know how to tap into it a lot. Thank you so much for sharing that. And out of this moment, you also have this opportunity that you took to ask some spiritual questions. And it sounds like you're still receiving that spiritual support. Yes. Well, and I'm I'm curious, what are your spiritual practices now? Do they look different than they did in your younger years? Yeah, I do the same thing that my grandmother did. So I get up in the morning, not necessarily at dawn, but I light a lamp, I burn incense, I meditate and I tap and I have certain very specific um, prayers, mantras that I recite every morning. Um, I don't drink coffee or, or anything until I finish that ritual. And I've now, you know, I'm a tapping practitioner, so I include tapping in it. I've been adding minutes to my meditation over the past several weeks, just because of the the stress in the country <laughs> and the needing to be grounded. So that's, and then in the evening as well, I light a lamp and just acknowledge their presence and go from there. And for me, you know, you talk about how you divorce business from your spirituality. And honestly, for me, now, there is no divorcing spirituality from life. You know, one of the prayers that I say is that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it, I'm offering it to you. Not that I don't slip out of it. Most of the time I'm out of it. But there is this intention set to say that whatever it is that I'm doing today is you doing it through me or is my offering to you, whichever way you want to to parse that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, You've given such rich answers. I'm just going to interject one thing. And if I'm totally wrong, you can correct me. It may also be helpful for our listeners to know that Hinduism, at least my understanding of it, is not centralized in the ways that Abrahamic religions are, um, where generally there's a central doctrine and you can assent or dissent from that doctrine. But my understanding of Hinduism is that it's a little more ground up and the way it's practiced, that you don't have a central tenet maybe that you have to sign on to. We don't have like a Church of England that tells us how to interpret something, or we don't have a Pope, right, to decide in a certain sense what the interpretation is. And we don't have to go to temples. So that's why every house has a temple inside it. And so each person has their own version of worship. We do have get-togethers. We do have communal uh, celebrations. um, And there are kind of general beliefs 
about the religion, but in its truest sense, if it's not manipulated and corrupted by, you know, by political forces or people with malintentions, it is the most open form of spirituality that you will find. We don't say atheists are bad. There are dialogues in the scriptures between atheists and, in quotes, uh, true believers. So that idea of dialogue and coming to your own conclusions is, is actually a very important part of the religion. One of the most beautiful structures that I like to talk about in India, in Bombay, actually right in the middle of one of the busiest places in the city, is the structure which has a cross on one side, a mosque on the other, and a temple on the other. And it's just like this one circular structure. It's small. It's not that big. It may be about three to four feet in diameter. But it is not unusual for a Hindu to go and pray in the temple and pray at the cross and also tip your head in front of the mosque. That is how I grew up, recognizing that each religion has its own path, but that they're also speaking the same truth. What a beautiful way to say that. Oh, that's beautiful. So Sri, I'm, I'm curious with this beautiful integration that you've described, have your spiritual beliefs and practices ever influenced the way that you think about money and abundance? Yes and no. So we have a goddess for wealth, right? We have a goddess for abundance and prosperity. And there are ways in which you are taught to open yourself up to that abundance and prosperity. I will be honest and say that I began to talk in terms of abundance and prosperity much more after becoming exposed to the Western New Age system. Because there were things in my past, like, you know, the, one of the big things I think about attracting abundance is, is believing that you deserve it. There's been a lot of um, I, the, a lot of things that I've I've lived through, and at some of those moments, there was a sense within me that said, maybe this is what I deserve, oh, right? Yeah. And one of the ways in which Hinduism can advance that belief is by talking about karma. And so, if these bad things are happening to you, that means you did something terrible and you need now to pay for it. And I do, I'm, I'm beginning to believe that that is a very limited uh, interpretation of karma. You do learn lessons as these things happen to you. You do grow. Um, but to turn that on yourself and to, to use it as a whipping boy to say, see, you're terrible, you're bad, you don't deserve anything more than this. So just, you know, that can be an abundance killer that can be a prosperity killer. So with me, what happened was there was a point at which I was entirely sure that that's where I am. This is the best I can expect. And I just had a bachelor's degree when I got married. And then it's through these multiple moves in multiple continents and countries that I picked up, you know, I picked up three master's degrees and a PhD. But it my growth really started in, in Saskatchewan, Canada, where I had a friend who was part of a, a women's support group. And she said to me, I see you as a powerful woman. I see you as a smart woman. You know, and there were things that I was going through then that she absolutely helped me 
navigate. And I got my first master's degree from there. And I haven't looked back, but I needed that. So I think allowing that support in is one of the biggest things I did for myself. Thank you so much for sharing that and just the vulnerability too around loss and also how you wrestled with the notion of karma and that you matured your understanding Mm -hmm. of what that is. Because I can see that maybe the earliest understanding of you reap what you sow isn't quite sufficient because life is, is more complicated than that. And just to put this in terms of kind of a Christian experience, which is my background and my present, is that Christians understand that God's grace is free, but sometimes people use this as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm-hmm. And so they think that there's no consequences for things yeah. that they've done, right? Yeah. And yeah. But, yeah. of course, God is forgiving, but we still have to pay our debts. Yeah, there are consequences, and you can use that to punish yourself, right? But you also have to learn to hold yourself gently. When you realize that, oh, this is the result of that thing that I did. So I think the the punishing aspect without compassion, whichever religion it is, right? whether we are talking about karma, whether we are talking about the biblical thing about you, you reap what you sow, what we need to get around or over is the idea that people need to be punished for what they did and there is no redemption. And I mean, redemption may be there from outside, but the biggest source of redemption for an individual is within ourselves. So that's what I love to teach people to do, to turn around and find these parts of you that you hate, that you have kind of developed inside yourself because of these beliefs, right? Because of what you think is right and wrong. And and this is not to excuse things. That's not what this is about. This is about just the amount of hatred we have for ourselves inside us is sometimes astounding. So I think when we use terms like karma and reap what you sow, it's really important to allow a person to hold or teach somebody to hold themselves in love. And that's what I hope I do. And that's what I hope I teach. Tree's discussion about karma and reaping what you sow got me to thinking about how I think about karma, because it's not a word that I would usually use. It's really a Sanskrit word and a concept usually found in Indian religions. And there's not just one definition of karma across all of the Indian religions and how it's applied. Shri's call to compassion as a really dynamic part of karma intrigued me. Within the Christian tradition, We focus a lot on how God's grace is completely free. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. All we can do is accept it. And I do believe that that's true. However, we define the divine. The divine offers us unconditional love and grace. But you know, when we cause harm or injury, it's up to us in our actions to create some balance. It's definitely not enough for us to say, oh, I'm forgiven, I have God's grace without following up with appropriate action to reduce harm and to create good in the world. Is this karma? Maybe, maybe this is my definition of karma. But one thing I see so many people do, including myself, is be overly hard on themselves. Women entrepreneurs, I am looking at you. Sometimes we self-flagellate way longer for an injury 
than is really deserved. And this is doing two harmful things in my opinion. First, it's actually distorting our karma. We're overpaying for the things that we've done that are way out of proportion with our harm. And second, we're denying divine grace when we do this. If I punish myself for much longer than is actually needed for a wrong or even a perceived wrong, I am in fact denying the balance of the universe. If I understand karma correctly, it's about balancing out our energy so that we can move forward in creative and healthy ways. But of course, you knew that I would throw this in because I'm an out-of-the-box Jesus follower, and I do believe in past lives and in future lives. Not many of us leave this life with zero regrets or unfinished tasks, but you know what? We get to fix those maybe in another life. Maybe this is another form of karma. And that's why I'm super intent to get all of my toxic stuff processed as much as possible, learn as many lessons as I can in this life so I can get on to new problems and new lessons in the next one. But as business owners, I think it is imperative for us to fulfill our karmic bank with as much good as possible through the work that we do, leaving the world a better place, and helping others fulfill their life purpose when through our entrepreneurship and our business, we are sharing karma in such a way that we're making the world more resilient. We really are doing great things. So Shri, I, I have to know, how did you go from researcher to life coach? And tell us a little bit more about the work that you do now. <laughs> so the, the first 11 years after my PhD, I was in the uh, UAB Comprehensive Cancer Center. So I was working and doing research or helping people do research in cancer. And I've always had this, um, in quotes, woo-woo part of me, right? So the, I've always liked to believe in miracles. I've always liked to believe in the power of the mind. And, you know, I have to parse that and say, yeah, there are limitations to the power. I'm not suggesting people don't use treatment and stuff. But the Disease outcomes can definitely be modified depending on a person's emotional and spiritual attitudes, right? So if you feel defeated, then it's much more difficult for your physiology even to support you in fighting the disease that you're fighting. And so there was always this part of me that was fascinated by that. I did a little bit of research on people who were, you know, miraculous survivors of cancer and interviewed them. And in fact, the only thing we found was a lot of them had very, very deep faith. And then I began to think about, like, there were there were crises, things that I was going through, and I wanted answers. And so I got introduced to this whole um, area of coaching and you know, law of attraction and Abraham Hicks and um, all of that. And so I st slowly started learning about that, getting trained practicing, figuring out what works and what doesn't work, and eventually got familiar with uh, Margaret Lynch and her tapping into wealth, got certified in that, did some more work with her on, on chakra mastery, and then I also got my EFT certification. And then I, I had, in the meantime, also developed this idea about how we fragment ourselves, we push ourselves, parts of ourselves away, and in order to be fully integrated, we really need to learn to love all parts of ourselves. So all of this kind of came together 
into what is now freeing ourselves. And so it, it's a combination of using, first of all, recognizing that the ultimate goal is to learn to love ourselves and know that we are divine. And we do that by accepting all parts of ourselves. And the more we do that, the more united we are within us, the more we reflect that into the world. And the less judgment and the less um, strife we will see there. And can you tell us what tapping is? I have a limited experience with this, and it's a kind of okay. a buzzword right now. So demystify yeah. what this is and bring in your researcher self to tell us about it too. Yeah, tapping is called emotional freedom technique, right? And what it is, is you're tapping on acupressure points around the body. A lot of them are around the face and, you know, on near your shoulder blades and so there are specific points that are supposed to be the starting points or the ending points of, of the meridians in Chinese medicine or nadis in, in, um, in Hinduism. And the research is pretty solid, actually. So you would say something like, even though I'm feeling angry, I fully and completely love and accept myself and forgive myself. So there is the, the kind of cognitive part of it where, where you're trying to change a belief, but that is helped by the physiological changes that the actual physical tapping on the tapping points achieves. Because we know that when you tap on these acupressure points, we know that the sympathetic system settles down and the parasympathetic system is activated. So you go from a fight-flight situation into a much calmer, open space where you're able to find solutions and see things in a different way. There is some evidence of it also helping in physical illnesses. And what we think that it is doing is that it helps to release, to resolve the emotional component of diseases. I love it when science, psychology, and spirituality come together. It is wonderful. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you have faced as an entrepreneur? I'm curious about that. Which one stands out to you? I think the biggest challenge is clarity on exactly how I want to push this forward is one thing. Um, the life, you know, when you have a completely unexpected break, right, and you had to kind of change your life around a little bit in order to adapt to what's new, it's kind of as if you're rocked back on your heels and then it's taken me a little bit of time to to come back up. So I've been doing stuff, but I've not been focused on getting clients. And that's where I'm going now. So you've worked with people on their dialogue and your coaching business, and you're passionate about empowering people from within. Can you tell us what prompted that desire for you? And if your spirituality has an impact on your coaching business in this way. In my mind, the entire business is based on spirituality. The goal of the business is to let every person I work with know their value. And depending on their belief systems, this can be done by working through their, um, their issues and showing them how powerful they are and also connecting that to their divinity if they're open to that. But it doesn't have to be. It, you know, it's possible that, that clients I work with do not have a deep belief in something, but I do. And so I can hold the space for them 
to do that. One of the things that I like to say to them is that, have you felt angry with God about this because you're going through this? And many are very reluctant to say yes to that. And I tell them, you know, God can take your anger. It's much better to express it and know that he will be there, he, she will be there to hold you through it. Being angry at God is really scary for a lot of people. And the more you grew up in a tradition that focuses on obedience and fear of God, the harder that this is probably going to feel. But here is something that I have found to be very true. God is big enough to hold space for your anger, including anger at God. And I'll say that just one more time. God is big enough to hold space for your anger, including any anger you may feel at God. In the Bible, we have the story of Job. In the story, God and a member of the Heavenly Council, a trickster character named Satan, which later gets changed to Satan, hold court over Job, and they make a bet that he won't curse God no matter what they do to him. So God allows for everything to be done to Job that can be done. His family is taken away and killed, his home destroyed, all of his property gone, his land, and finally, Job is left broken in body and spirit, and sores are inflicted upon Job. He is just in a miserable state. Job is really a metaphorical tale about what it means to live with great loss and to be very angry at God. In fact, Job rails at God. He shakes his fist at him. He calls God out for his misery. And when God finally responds at the very end of the book, it's not to apologize to Job or to explain why he's in the state that he's in, but instead to put him squarely in his place. I love this book, not because I think it depicts God how God really is. I believe that God is caring and intimately involved in our lives, not betting on us to be in harm's way. But I love the book because it depicts a real human with the full range of anger about how life is going and it asks new questions about how humans and God get along. My clients sometimes ask me if I've been mad at God. And sure, honestly, I can't imagine anyone living who hasn't felt some anger at some point in time. But more often now, I get angry at the way humans treat one another. Maybe I used to hold God accountable for this or wish that God would come in and make some sweeping changes on the face of the earth to make things right. But now I have a very different perspective. God loves and respects us so much that God always gives us free will, and I mean always. Sometimes humans use this free will to do great good in the world, and sometimes we use it and we do great harm. Any anger I may have felt at God for those injustices in the world now is turned into something very different, which is action. It's action towards making the world a better place, it is action towards myself and offering myself grace and compassion and the gift of rest so that I can be there for the causes that are important to me. It enables me and empowers me to reduce injury and to promote good wherever I can. And we all know what happens when we hold anger in. It festers, it gets bottled up, and it gets turned into illness and disease. Getting rid of all the shoulds about how we should feel about God is a very healthy thing to do. And that includes being angry. There's no, I shouldn't be angry at God. However you feel is how you feel. But processing that anger 
and allowing it to turn into something new will help us get into a new space with God. And that's where God has been waiting for us all along. And you know what? This brings us back full circle to karma in our lives, in our businesses. I think when we're holding on to anger towards God, we're actually in a way building up some kind of karmic relationship that still has to be resolved. When we can process that anger, we are enabling our karma to be more imbalanced, more resolved, and to create that more dynamic flow of energy. And ultimately you and your business are creating the beauty in the world that deserves to be there. That holding space for people when they're undergoing whatever they're undergoing is so important. And that resonated so strongly with me. And I love that your own personal spiritual beliefs and devotion and Hinduism in general is wide enough to create that space without being demanding about others. So that's so exciting to me. Sri, what do you think of when I say being in alignment? What does that mean to you? Being in alignment for me means feeling the connection. And it means feeling really centered. So the opposite of being scattered, being gathered together at my core and knowing that that gathering, in a sense, happens because of my connection to God. That's so beautiful. Well, before we wrap up, Sri, do you have any advice you'd like to share with our listeners? I think the most important message, I think, is it's really easy to hate yourself. That's not the difficult thing to do. The real challenge in life is to learn to love yourself and to just love yourself completely and unconditionally because you're worth it, because you are here, is the lesson that we have to learn and teach everyone. And to be able to hold that in your heart is my message. And you're such the perfect person to assist people in that journey. And this is so wonderful. Sri, thank you so much for being here. What is the best way for people to find you? Right now, the best way is through my Instagram handle, Freedom with Sri. We are doing a few updates to my website. So I, I would say Freedom with Sri on Instagram is the best way. Um, I'll be announcing some workshops and things hopefully soon. And spell your first name for everyone. For the Instagram handle, it is S-R-E-E. So freedom with S-R-E-E. I am Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business. Soul Savvy Business is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes shows like Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal and Cynthia. Melissa assembled the episode and Danny Eney is our executive producer. Post-production was by Post Office Sound. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you liked the show, please give us a star review. It is the best way to help us get these ideas out there to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.